Today's episode of The Pediatrician Next Door is brought to you by our sponsor, Dr. Eddie's Happy Cappy. Dr. Eddie's Happy Cappy is a pediatrician solution for cradle cap, neonatal acne, dandruff, seborrheic dermatitis, and eczema. Now you can fight flakes like a pediatrician with Happy Cappy, available on Amazon and nationwide at Walmart and Walgreens stores. I've been telling parents for years to put their baby to bed, drowsy but awake. And it turns out my advice is completely wrong. So first of all, I'm sorry. And my apology comes in the form of this fantastic explanation from Michelle Glenn, the baby sleep engineer. In this episode, she explains how to foster independent sleep in your child and how to use a sleep consultant when you need one. As we start this episode, I want you to reflect on your own sleep as a parent, because one of the things I learned from this interview is that we actually carry a lot of our own ideas about sleep into our parenting approach. And sometimes we're the problem and we need to get out of the way. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. I'm that doctor friend you call for practical advice about your kid's health. I mix the science of medicine with the reality of parenting. My daughter has never been easy to put to bed, even as a teenager. I didn't know anything about sleep training methods, but it turns out that just by following my own instincts, I used a method called the reverse sleep wave and it worked. I actually still have a little PTSD from putting her to bed and sleep training her. And it's probably why I think this is such an important issue. I often do recommend to parents that they hire a sleep consultant. But I haven't ever had the opportunity to learn about sleep methods and sleep consultants. So here is my conversation with Michelle Glenn. She's known as the baby sleep engineer. I asked her about who calls her for help and also to comment on my awesome advice to put babies to bed drowsy. And here's what she taught me. The parents who are calling me generally are either experiencing really lengthy bedtimes either if we're talking about toddlers and stalling or having to rock a a baby to sleep for an hour before they fall asleep. Either they're having lengthy bedtimes and or they're experiencing lots of night wakings, like beyond what's sort of developmentally necessary. The core of what I do is help parents teach their babies how to fall asleep on their own. So we're talking about independent sleep. How do you put a baby to bed? The super short, not nuanced answer is laying them in their bed awake. Does drowsy mean they're a little bit sleepy or does drowsy mean their eyelids, like they're having a hard time keeping their eyes open and their eyes are just about to close? Those are two very different things. So drowsy can mean cozy, cuddly, and tired or drowsy can mean I can barely keep my eyes open. Those two things are very different levels of awake. I think it's a little misleading. Drowsy but awake is misleading. And it leads parents to think their child is falling asleep independently. And then they call me and they say, yeah, I'm putting them to bed drowsy but awake. And they're still waking up six times a night to nurse and won't and cannot put themselves back to sleep on their own. When that is the case, it's almost always true that the baby is going down almost asleep. Especially all parents call me and say, my baby's going down, drowsy but awake. 
and they're going down on their own. No tears at bedtime. It's so peaceful. It's so smooth. And then they're up a bunch of times a night, will not put themselves back to sleep. And almost all the time, they're going into their cribs too sleepy, too drowsy. Essentially, the parents are doing too much of the work to put their baby to sleep. So in the middle of the night, when their baby wakes up, their baby isn't able to take themselves from awake to asleep. They're only able to take themselves from almost asleep to asleep. Often, what the child needs is for us to step back, to pause, to give them the space they need to do something that they're quite capable of doing. In terms of crying, babies are going to protest. Their parents are the coolest, most amazing people in the whole world to them. There is no part of them that ever wants to be separate. from. In fact, what babies, I mean, you could probably speak to this more, more than I can, but like, they think they are their mom. Like babies, like they are one. They are not separate beings. And so to be separate from their mom at any moment is very difficult. And they have feelings about that. And so what I often tell parents is, of course, when you go from nursing your baby to sleep to laying them down in the crib awake and walking out of the room or sitting next to the crib instead of holding them, of course, they're going to communicate to you that they don't like that, that this is not what they would prefer. That is not the same thing as they're experiencing trauma or they're feeling abandoned or they are being abandoned. Those two things are are not the same. But there is a lot of guilt and shame that comes up in, in parenthood, especially motherhood. There's just a heavy, heavy emphasis, and it's a very heavy thing to carry that, uh, you know, we want to be good parents. We want to be good moms. And what we, I think, as a culture tend to have decided is that to be a good mom, you, to, to be there at the exact moment of any sort of emotional reaction, at any sort of you know, moment of upsetness. And, and we have to fix that. If they are upset, we need to make that upset go away. Otherwise, we're not, we're not being good, good parents or good moms. Right. So the thing I hear most often from parents is that they, their sleep problem with their child is that they don't want their child to cry. Yes. And absolutely. so I don't know where, what advice to give in terms of like, your, your baby's going to cry a little. <laughs> Maybe without nursing six times a night, your child is going to cry and they're going to experience some amount of stress when changing that. What a gift to your child to do something that results in you being well-rested and better able to regulate your own emotions. And what a gift to your child to have carved out time with your spouse every evening or time to exercise or time to go out to dinner with a friend and talk about how hard parenting is. You know, like I... like. What a gift to your child to take care of yourself. We forget that when a parent is having a sleep problem in their child, that they are also not getting sleep. The parent is also not getting sleep. And that's really not fair to anyone. No. And it's, I mean, the child either. I mean, I, I think I spend a lot of time talking to parents around about your child needs a well-rested parent more 
then they need to not cry. And I'll say to you now is that whenever I'm sleep training, the bulk of the crying is happening at bedtime, not in the middle of the night. Nurse the baby, hand the baby to dad, and go to Target. Go have dinner with a friend. Go take a 45-minute walk around the block. That's the worst part. It's not two in the morning. Right, get through bedtime. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about the bulk of the crying being at bedtime is that's when we're awake. That's when we can have a glass of wine or it's socially acceptable to leave your house and go to a restaurant or to a store. I will often find that this very often benefits dad too, in two ways. One, I think, especially if you have a nursing mother, especially if you've got moms on maternity leave for several months, And she's getting a lot more interaction with the baby. And if we add on the layer of mom is more likely to have had baby experience prior to becoming a parent than dad, we end up often in a cycle where dad feels like he can't do anything. He feels incompetent. Mom also feels like he's incompetent. Maybe she doesn't use those words, but like only mom can do it. Only mom can soothe the baby. Baby will not accept dad. And so I will often use sleep training as a way to build confidence in fathers. As like, no, you can do this. Let me show you how. And sometimes mom getting out of the way goes a long way in dad feeling that confidence. Do you find that if you help a family to fix that struggle at bedtime and that becomes easier, that the night wakings are reduced? Is there a connection? Absolutely. I have worked with a number of families that once we, you know, switch from nursing to sleep to laying the baby down awake, with the night wakings drop off immediately. Mm. Or they turn into, you know, in the first handful of days, you know, waking up a couple times a night and crying for five minutes before the baby puts themselves back to sleep. So I find this a lot in infants, for example, when we're doing some version of timed checks or, you know, fervor method as it's, it's more commonly called. And parents aren't even doing checks in the middle of the night because their child is back asleep before they are even, before it's even time to do a check. And so, yes, I would say once we switch to independent sleep, the middle of the nights are transformed sometimes immediately and usually within the first few days or the first week. The story I always like to tell is You know, if your baby is being nursed to sleep and you lay them in their bed asleep, they need that level of intervention in order to put themselves back to sleep. So it's as if you fell asleep in your bed and then you woke up in your backyard. You are not just going to be like, well, all right, going back to sleep. You're going to address that. That is not normal. You have woken up in a different environment under different conditions and we can get up and walk and, 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 and address that and be probably very weirded out that that happened, obviously. But our babies struggle to connect their own sleep cycles. If they're getting intervention at bedtime, then in the middle of the night, they're unable to connect their own sleep cycles unless we're there to help them. And so it's akin to, you know, they're in our arms being nursed to sleep and then they wake up in the backyard and they're like, what the heck? Help me out here. If you're nursing your baby to sleep or rocking your baby to sleep, they can't 
recreate those conditions. And so if we teach them how to fall asleep on their own at bedtime, then those conditions can be recreated without our intervention. This episode of The Pediatrician Next Door is made possible by our sponsor, Dr. Eddie's Happy Cappy. Dr. Eddie's Happy Cappy is a pediatrician solution for cradle cap, neonatal acne, dandruff, seborrheic dermatitis, and eczema. When nothing worked to clear up my six-month-old patient's cradle cap and the baby's grandmother just needed her grandson's scalp to be perfect, I recommended Happy Cappy because I know it will clear up even the thickest rash, even in the eyebrows and behind the ears. The parents were so happy with the results, and more importantly, grandma was happy. Dr. Eddie's Happy Cappy Medicated Shampoo and Body Wash is an award-winning pediatrician-grade solution that safely and effectively fights scaling, flaking, irritation, redness, and itching associated with seborrheic dermatitis and cradle cap. Now you can fight flakes like a pediatrician with Happy Cappy, available on Amazon and nationwide at Walmart and Walgreens stores. That's Dr. Eddie's Happy Cappy, available on Amazon and in stores nationwide at Walmart and Walgreens. One of the earliest jobs we have as a parent is to teach our kids to fall asleep on their own. In fact, it may not really be teaching. We as parents, we provide the framework the conditions and the expectation for our child to achieve independent sleep, to be able to fall asleep without cues or intervention from us. This is tough to wrap your mind around. It's not your job to get your child to go to sleep. It's your job to know when they need sleep because they don't want to be away from you. And some older kids, they don't want to miss out on anything. And it's your job as a parent to create the conditions for a child to fall asleep. In many ways, you have to anticipate their need for sleep, and that can be hard too. The reward comes in good sleep for the child and for the parent. There is another huge reward, and that is that in families that I see establish good sleep, it makes setting boundaries around every other activity of childhood easier. Kids want structure. They love structure. They know loving what to expect. They don't thrive in randomness. They need routine. So how do you do this? You start with learning the rhythms of your child's day and also know that this may involve sleep training. Here's everything you need to know explained by Michelle, the baby sleep engineer. Do you help families to identify sleep cues that they can use during this time when they're learning how to put their kids to sleep? I do. One of of the things I do is I provide them with the age-appropriate schedule so that it takes a little bit of the work out for them and makes it a bit easier. But I do do a lot of coaching around sleepy cues versus overtired cues. Two things are true. One, sleepy cues are a lot more subtle and nuanced. They sort of look like their eyes are glazed over and they're kind of like losing interest in their environment or losing their interest in like nursing or, or whatever, or playing. And it's often the overtired cues that are much more clear to us. And those overtired cues get mistaken for sleepy cues a lot of the time. So fussiness, like rubbing eyes and, you know, all these things that we're like, oh, you're tired. Those are actually signs that they should have already been in bed and we didn't quite catch it. 
we're trying to put them to bed after they have moved past tired and into overtired. And I know that a lot of a lot of parents will reflect like their child is like wired and they're just like bouncing off the walls. And a lot of parents will mistake that for like, oh, my child's not tired. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is that usually they're overtired. What I find, especially with toddlers whose parents are spending two hours navigating, stalling, and coming in and out of the room and and, and fighting the sleep routine, is that they're doing all this labor while cortisol is being pumped through their child's system. And then they're finally falling asleep when their child is crashing. And the first thing I do is recommend an earlier bedtime. And the reaction I get about that is, well, then I'm just going to spend more time fighting my child. And I do a lot of coaching around, no, if we get the bedtime right, it will happen much faster and more peacefully. So you must spend a fair amount of time assessing the temperament of the baby you're working with or child and the parent's temperaments to try and figure out where the sweet spot is for what kind of training you want to help them do. Absolutely. And, you know, I am a parent coach. I work with parents. My understanding of the baby's temperament is through the lens of the parent. When I'm coaching parents and I'm helping them come up with a plan, the plan that's going to work is the one that the parents can execute consistently. All the methods I use, the methods I use, they all work. And some of them are going to work better for one baby than the other. And sometimes I can identify really quickly which method is going to work best for the baby. But none of that matters if it doesn't work for the parents. Can you tell me a little bit about the different methods? Sort of the most direct, most hands-off, low parental involvement method, lowest parental involvement method is going to be extinction or cry it out. I've been doing this for four years. I've worked with hundreds of families and I've used extinction a handful of times. And then sort of a step up from that, which is what I use with 49 out of 50 families with infants, is some version of like fervor or time checks. So we're going in at set intervals to check in, repeat a mantra like, I love you, it's time to go to sleep. And so we, parents can have eyes on their baby. They can pop the pacifier back in their mouth. They can flip them onto their back if they're, you know, working on rolling. They can offer some amount of limited comfort and they can get eyes on their baby, which most parents want. So those are the two methods that I primarily use with with infants. And with toddlers and preschoolers or parents of infants that want to go much more gradual and want to be in the room when their baby is learning this new skill. I'll use some version of the sleep lady shuffle or the chair method, which involves the parent being at the bedside, sitting in a chair, soothing their child with their voice and with their touch. And then over the course of about a week or two, they're gradually moving the chair further and further away from the crib. So they're easing their child into needing less and less of them as they're falling asleep or back to sleep in the middle of the night. And then the the fourth method that I use almost exclusively with toddlers and or maybe preschoolers really is called uh, the sleep wave or the reverse sleep wave. Generally speaking, with any of these methods, we are checking on them when they're crying or we're sitting next to them in a chair while they're crying when they're upset. 
And the reverse sleep wave, what it does is we are telling our four-year-old or our five-year-old, I am going to check on you every five minutes until you fall asleep. You don't need to call for me, not because you're upset, just I'm going to check on you every five minutes. And for kids who are not accustomed to falling asleep on their own, five minutes might mean one minute at first. It might mean 30 seconds. All the parents doing is popping their head in and saying, I'm checking on you. I'll be back in five minutes over and over and over again. And I can't tell you how many parents have heard me describe this method and say, that's never, what are you talking about? That's not going to work. The kids love when their parents are checking on them over and over again. It's like they're getting that input. They're getting that, that connection and that attention that they're, you know, that they're seeking at bedtime. And they're generally not experiencing distress and they'll often go a long way to keeping them in their beds. And over time, one minute becomes actual five minutes. And then eventually the checks can either go away or, or expand or the, the kids are falling asleep so quickly that the parents will do the five-minute checks indefinitely. And it's like just a part of the routine. So those are the methods that I generally pull from. Can you talk about what the process looks like of working with a sleep consultant? Like how do you start? How often do you talk? Are you with them in the middle of the night? Sure. First, I'm going to collect information from them ahead of time. And I'm going to meet with them on a Zoom call for an hour. And during that hour, we're going to talk about the sleep schedule, the sleep environment, anything that I've gleaned from the intake form about their lifestyle and schedule. Is it two kids? Are they sharing a room? Is this an infant and the parents want to continue room sharing? Um, Is the child in daycare? What time do they get home from daycare? What are the limitations around their nap schedule and their bedtime? Can we put them on the ideal schedule or are we going to have to make modifications because life. (laughs) Then I walk them through the various strategies that we can use. I take the temperature of the room. Often when I roll out three or four methods, one or two of them are an automatic no. A lot of parents will hear me talk about cry it out and they're like, nope, don't need to hear anymore. Not going to do that. So we, we talk through the various methods. I sometimes parents know immediately after hearing me discuss them, uh, which one they want to use. Sometimes I will walk them through the pros and cons and help them decide which one's going to be best for their family. I walk away from that call and I write up a detailed sleep plan. So this is like an eight-page PDF on what is the schedule going to be? What changes are you going to make to the sleep environment? What's the bedtime routine going to look like? What are you going to do when they cry? Are we keeping night feeds? If so, what time are those night feeds going to be at? And then as families are implementing the sleep plan, they're keeping detailed notes in a sleep log that I'm checking multiple times a day. They have unlimited email support from me and then 30-minute check-in calls that can be used uh, whenever they're necessary and whenever the parent wants. And a lot of what I'm doing during that support period is providing emotional support. I think anytime we're doing something that is involving our, our children crying, we want to make sure that that's towards a goal, right? And I think so often the reason people call me instead of doing it on their own is because when they do it on their own, they don't trust themselves and they're second guessing themselves. And 
nobody wants to hear their child cry, but something far worse than tears are unproductive ones. Tears for no reason. Tears that aren't aren't moving us towards where we want to go. I can take that second guessing off of their plate. If things are going well and there aren't any bumps in the road, I check, you know, I check sleep logs multiple times a day. I will shoot a few check-in emails over the course of our support period, and that might be it. And then we do a wrap-up call at the end. And if there's additional, you know, emotional support needed, either because things aren't going well and we need to make an adjustment to the plan or their parent perceives that it's not going well and feels like we might need to make a change to the plan, then we're going to be in more communication. I'm there to help assess whether changes need to be made. And that's a big piece of it because I get so many calls from parents. Like, we've tried everything and nothing has worked. And so often my response to that is, if you have tried everything, there is a very good chance you have tried nothing. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Because if you try something one night and then another thing another night and then another thing another night, or you switch up what you do at bedtime and midnight, like, it's just, if there's no consistency and we're not giving our child any space to learn, they just get confused and anxious. And we have to give any method a chance. I hear this too. Parents tell me they have tried everything. I feel so validated by Michelle's description of the process of sleep training and developing independent sleep in a child. In fact, I kind of feel vindicated Because just as parents feel guilt and shame about bedtime struggles, we pediatricians really, really want to help your kids sleep, but we literally have 15 minutes with you at your well-child visit, and it's impossible to address sleep in 15 minutes. Even the introductory call with a sleep consultant is twice that long. In fact, sleep is so complicated that I did two recent episodes on sleep. If you missed the first one, go back and listen to episode 27 of my interview with a different sleep consultant. Here's what I want you to take from this. Sleep is important. It's a gift we give our children when we develop their confidence and their ability to fall asleep independently, even when there are some tears and crying. And if you need a little hand-holding, it's okay to consult with a baby sleep specialist. There are literally hundreds, possibly thousands of books on this subject. After the challenges that I faced with my daughter, I picked the book On Becoming Baby Wise and read that. And I was really successful with my son achieving independent sleep from a very, very early age. There are so many options out there. And the truth is that any sleep training method that you choose can be successful if you stick with it. And there is extensive research that shows that there is no psychological damage or long-term effects on a child with any sleep training method. Thank you to Michelle Glenn for teaching me how to coach parents regarding their kids' sleep. You can find her at thebabysleepengineer.com. She can consult on your kids' sleep issues no matter where you live, and just let her know when you need a little support. For more from The Pediatrician Next Door, find me on the web at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com. If you've got a question about the weird things kids do, send an email to hello at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com for a chance to hear your voice on the show. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. This show is produced by Red Rock Music. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever it is you're listening. 
I'll be back next time with more.